Staff Sergeant Brian Schroeder. And I'm Leanna Machino. And for the third time, I'm Shay Cockrell. Yay, Shay is our most consistent speaker. Yeah. Don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Subject matter expert. It's a Uh, a good thing. It's a good thing. We have you back because you're so so full of knowledge and great things (laughs) to offer everybody. Yes. Especially for tax season, which is coming up April 15th is the... It's the deadline. Actual deadline. So correct. So Shay, you are a CPA again. Kind of walk us through what that means. Yeah, uh, CPA meaning certified public accountant. Uh, there are um, rules, regulations the state of Oklahoma puts out. They're supposed to be experts in certain areas of accounting. So mm-hmm. audit or tax or uh, financial services is where you'll find most of those individuals. Okay. Yeah. So with it coming up on tax season, we thought it would be appropriate to bring you back in um, because you are a CPA. Um, and maybe you can clear up some of these myths that people may have or misconceptions people may have about taxes, but also just kind of a friendly reminder of it's tax season and it's, it's time to mm-hmm. start thinking about, about those things. Oh, yeah. So CPAs, you said, are, are kind of specialists and your specialty is tax or is it just financial services in general? I would say those two. I've done audit in the past, Mm -hmm. but um, we're supposed to be well-rounded, but usually you're going to find somebody who's working for 10, 20, 30 years in a specific field. So um, I I have worked a few years in tax. Uh, I've done some audits. Um, Currently now I'm doing budget. Okay. It's Um, it's fun. Did we spark that interest in you doing budget? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We got his mind working. Yes. We're going to require 10% each of whatever you make from okay. that for uh, inspiring. I will take note. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Uh, we have already budgeted that for this year. Yes, so, thank you. Uh, so you taught me how to budget, Shay. So yeah, thanks. That 10% is going to really help. Yes. Please refer to our budgeting <laughs> episode if you're not too sure what we we're talking about. No. Just so. kidding. He's not paying us. Okay, this is free. Oh, yeah. Dang I don't it. have that kind of money. No, thanks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so we can jump into our first theme, knowing if you is owing. Did you did you catch that? Oh, I put LOL. LOL next to it so you'd know it was a joke, and then oh, yeah. my grammar's not that bad. But um, is it a bad thing to owe on taxes versus getting a refund? Uh, it's all about magnitude there. I mean, the goal is to get as close to zero as you can. I mean, if you owe a ton, obviously it's bad because you're obviously owing a ton. <laughs> but if you're getting a huge refund, over the course of the year, that's been a... Uh, an interest-free loan to the government the whole time. So that's money you could have had throughout the year. So mm-hmm. it's trying to get as close to that zero line as you can, which can be harder than a lot of people expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me, I used to have, well, I kind of still do. If I get a refund, which normally I do a little bit every year, I've never had to owe, which is great. But that my idea is, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm giving it to the government to hold on, but I would normally spend that money if I got it every month. So it's like, free savings and it's a it's a bonus sure at the beginning of the year this year i don't know how that'll turn out hopefully but yeah this year my savings account interest that you're talking about is going negative so i'm actually having to pay for the first time and it's really that's a little frustrating that's rare uh yeah so um i was doing one of these online tax refund things and it goes through and it tells you as you progress through how much refund you're getting back, how much refund you're getting back. And then I entered my work W-2 and all of a sudden I owe. Yeah. So um, not sure how that's all working out. Maybe it's just me <laughs> making those mistakes. So do you recommend 
going to someone like you to get that taken care of versus trying to figure it out on my own and hope that I don't get audited? <laughs> uh, I would say it's all about complexity. If you have some sort of understanding of how taxes work, if you've got a couple of W-2s, you probably can put it in there and be just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not recommend every, every single individual and their dog go to a CPA. You know, that that's not necessary. Um, yes, we do love the business, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's all about how much time you have and, I mean, of course, and how complicated that yeah. is. If you've got a complicated return and you don't feel good about it doing it yourself, you may get a second opinion. Sure. Okay. That's that's good advice yeah. because I usually do it myself, but I've got a few things that are coming my way that are a little different. Having a home, not being in school anymore, so now I'm getting student loan interest Ooh, back, fun. which I'm having to pay every month, so I, I hope that I get some of that back. <laughs> yeah. My monthly payments are a lot, Yeah. Uh, but I don't have the school to deduct, and I don't qualify for certain uh, credits and things like that, so maybe it would be a good idea to have a professional take a look at that for me so um going back to the owing versus getting a refund is there is there a a reason why i would owe versus not getting a refund is it i make a certain amount of money is it i don't have those things to write off anymore what would be what would be one of those reasons it'd be a combination of both so one big one is that um let's say you had a child under the age of 16 and then they turn um, 17 or above and you're not getting the full $2,000 child tax credit anymore. Mm-hmm. So that position has changed for you or you get a huge raise and you didn't increase your withholding appropriately, you could owe some more there. Um, it it can go a, a thousand different ways on what that looks like. That's why it's usually um, good to at the beginning of the year look to see what how and how your financial position is going to change to try to budget how much is going into taxes or whether you need to do a quarterly uh, estimated payment which could help your position as long as you're not overestimating like I said a minute ago so you're not getting an entry loan to the, the government mm-hmm, which is sure. not good but yeah doing that in estimations a, is a good idea so do you do you recommend saying that altering how much you pay into taxes to either avoid a refund or avoid having to pay additional, not additional, I guess. Well, it would be additional, but is it a good idea? Cause you said to try to get it close to the zero as possible, right? Um, to take a look at that stuff and, and alter the way, how much you pay into taxes if you're able to. Oh yeah. Okay. So it, that's all when you say withholdings and, and, is that when you get a job and you fill out all those tax documents, that's where you claim how many dependents you have, if you put a one or a zero or a two, that all changes how much the government takes out of Correct. your tax? Correct. And okay. that's, that'll, you'll see that on your W-4. Okay. Um, and usually you can change it whenever you want. There are certain, certain employers that uh, will only want you to change it you know, once a quarter or mm-hmm. once a year or whatever, but you really can change it whenever you'd like. So how does that differ from someone who's single versus a family of four or even just a married couple with no children or other dependents? Is there one one way that would benefit you more than another? Not necessarily. Uh, the Speaking specifically for the Fed side, because <laughs> the state side's a whole, a whole different animal, 
But on the Fed side, when you fill out your W-4, the IRS takes into account based on the, the tables that's pulling out of your paycheck every pay period, uh, how many dependents you have, factoring in things like the child tax credit and um, some other expenses you could possibly have. They, they're running those numbers behind the scenes to help you and get as close as, as they can to zero. Of course, it's not going to be 100% accurate because not everybody's making the same amount of money. Right. So it should be somewhat close. Do you, so as a single person, can you, what's, what's the max you can, a one or two can, I mean, wh- how high can you go? Oh yeah. So the more dependents you have, the less is being taken out. Mm-hmm. So let's say each month or each, each pay period, right? Yeah. So at the end of the pay period on your W-4, you had filed uh, single and zero, which mm-hmm. is based on the withholdings, the most amount on the table that can be taken out. Now, if you follow the W-4 down some more, mm-hmm. you can request additional amounts by percentage, by dollar value to be taken out of, oh, your, of okay. your paycheck every time. So let's say, for example, you're making $40,000 a year at your current, current job. So you file that W-4, but you know <laughs> on the side you're going to get a 1099 for $20,000 doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And on a 1099, they're not taking out taxes for you like they are at a place of employment or your W-2 employee. So you know you're going to have to pay in additional. So you can use your W-4 as with your W-2 employer as a, a vehicle to take out additional from that paycheck to compensate if you'd like. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So the more or the less that I have taken out when I get my paycheck, the more I'm going to have to pay at the end of the year? Correct. Okay. So it really just depends on if I want that money up front or if I get it at, if I want it to balance at the end of the year. Right. And you got to be careful because there are certain percentages. If you don't pay enough in going into the end of the year, you're going to have a penalty for underpayment. So you got to be careful how much you're doing and the, and the tax withholding tables will usually they'll usually do you good and they'll help you um if you're doing it correctly let's say you have one child and you're you're single and you file single in mm-hmm. one right you're usually going to be okay and you're not going to underpay okay so the tax withholding tables i can get that irs.gov or is there yeah, okay. yeah you can do that um Usually, you don't have to look at the table specifically. That's usually behind-the-scenes accounting type stuff. Okay. So on the W-4, if you file single and one, the, the accountants behind uh, the HR veil, if you will, will know what to do with that. Good, because that's way above my mathing level. Yeah. I, don't, I feel like that's me sometimes, one. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I assume on that, you'd recommend budgeting in case you have to pay oh, yeah. by April. And you have to pay by April 15th, the deadline, no matter if you filed an extension or not. And we can get into that in a bit, but... But yes. Okay. The quick answer is yes. Okay. Cool. I mean, not cool. Uh, I want all the money. Yeah, I do too, but also it's nice to drive on roads that are I was going to say, taxes... And I'm going to hop on a soapbox here, but yeah, people vent about taxes and... And uh, I have to pay the taxes and everything. And it's it's like, okay, educate yourself on what taxes do for your community. But and, at the, and at a very baseline level, uh, you don't get thrown in jail if you pay your taxes, too. That's, See, a, that's very important. That's another one. Yeah. Because yeah. it's you. It's you, true. It's like complain about it all you want. You still have to do it. And taxes go towards something. That's true. So make yourself feel better. Look up what it is, what taxes 
what your taxes are going toward. But right. it's like, hey, there's a reason why we pay into this. It's not a bad thing. Right. It sucks to pay money, but that's just the way yeah. it is. Nobody <laughs> wants to, but at the same time, it's yeah. it goes to to help you in your everyday life and yes. things that you don't even realize. Yeah, and the kids, education. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. yeah. So I that's just that's my I'll hop off now, but that's educate yourselves on where taxes go and it's not just throwing money out to the wind and yes. there it goes. It's not so that's what's happening. <laughs> so. And we'll provide some very general links that yeah. are uh, that will guide you to the state and federal taxes and where those those monies are being spent. So yep. you can look for yourself and, and educate yourself. Yep. Um, so I'm going to jump into deadlines, filing early versus filing February or April 15th. Sure. I assume you can April file 15th, on the yeah. 15th. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So file early versus late middle of the road does it matter yes okay so or i would say early is better if you have the money and can pay your taxes fully do it can i get a discount if i pay early <laughs> that would be nice but the irs yeah. doesn't care no okay. um <laughs> that would be a perk though <laughs> irs 10 percent <off laughs> yeah if you're listening yeah so one of the things that people don't think about is um somebody Stealing okay. your social security number and filing tax return for you. Uh, identity theft is a big deal. Mm. So filing early will prevent that from happening as as it great as it could if you're doing it later in the year. Because the way the servers work is if you file your return early up front and then someone tries to do it again on your behalf, the IRS servers will reject it. Mm. So okay. early is better in that way. But if you don't have the money... Um, Waiting until April 15th can be okay. You're still going to owe mm -hmm. at that point, um, but it won't be as bad as going ahead and filing. When is it, or not when going is filing. it payment due? Say I go, I file today, and I find out I owe 300 bucks. When do I have to cut that check? You should do it there because it was technically due back December 31st at the end of the year, ah. but you're not going to you're not going to feel that that pressure until April 15th because okay. after that you're going to start getting even more compounded interest okay. on top of that. My thought would be, hey, I filed in as soon as I got all my paperwork in line and just say very end of January. Sure. Uh, now I know I owe $300. I'm going to have to figure something out between now and April to get that $300. Right. In my mind, I'd want to do it that way just so I know like I for sure owe instead of waiting mm -hmm. and then it's like yeah. it's due now. And I'm there like, oh, crap, I didn't account for this. I was expecting a refund, and I didn't get one or whatever. Yep. So, yep. I mean, I assume most – is filing all electronic, or do people do on paper now, or both, or – Both. Okay. It's still allowed. However, if you are a practitioner, somebody who's doing a ton of people's taxes that are not your own, mm -hmm. you are required to do um, electronic. I think it's 10 or more is the requirement. Okay. But, but I'll, for all of my clients, I do – Electronic yeah, anyway. it's easier. It, it's a lot easier the that way. The computer can do some thinking. And you can save on stamps. Yeah. yeah that's nice, too. So. Uh, too. Yeah. Can I save on the amount of money that I owe the IRS <laughs> if I file electronically? Well, let, me, let me give you a phone number and <laughs> yeah. give them a call. Okay. We are gonna we're we're gonna say listen to this episode. We have some ideas for you. Listen, I'm just trying to educate myself so yeah. that I don't have yeah. to pay any extra than what I already have to. Is the deadline the same deadline every single year? Does that ever change? 
by a few days, depending okay. on if it's a filing day or not. I think last year was April 18th because okay. it fell on a weekend oh, uh, okay. or on a Friday. It fell on a Friday, I think. This year, April 15th is on a Wednesday, so okay. you are due April 15th. Okay. There you go. Um, so extensions, how, how does filing? So I, I did one when I was deployed, filed an extension. Um, but I, one thing I did not know is that you still have to pay by that April 15th. I assumed, oh, I know I've put in an, an extension, so I don't have to pay anything. Although at that time I was, I knew I would be getting something back. So how does that work? Filing an extension anyway, like what form is it? How, how do you do it? Or in a, we can put the form in later, but when do you, when can you do it? I mean, is it just, I don't have my crap together and it's April. I, I, I'm not, I'm behind extension. Can you do that or? Oh yeah. So okay. that was a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, sorry to answer all of them in answer, order. Right. <laughs> and go. Yeah. And go. Um, <laughs> you can file an extension. I would recommend any time after February 1st. So okay. if you, if you know historically that you're not getting a K1 or a 1099 on time, uh, you can file it at that point. And they, they like for you to estimate as best as you can what you're going to owe. And if you haven't already paid in that much, they want you to send in money. Because if anything after April 15th, you're going to go owe interest on what mm -hmm. you... But it's better to do that than to not file at all, because then you're going to get a penalty for failure to file. Yep. And that's a that's a big one. You don't want to get that one. Um, okay. But you can still get a penalty for not paying, even if you did file. Correct. Okay. It's f failure to pay in enough yeah. at that point. Okay. Um, that's That's... Only after April 15th, though. You'll pay yeah. interest if you owe anything, but if it's a small amount, it's not, not as much as you think. I imagine that could add up, especially if you're mm -hmm. six months after the fact. Right. Because an extension is only six months, right? Correct. Okay. So. Good to know. Yeah. So you mentioned K-1 and 1099. What? Those are obviously <clears throat> tax form numbers. What do, what do they mean? How do I know if I need to wait before I'm filing to, to know if I'm going to be getting these types mm -hmm. of forms? So if you, say for example, are an independent contractor and you haven't filed a W-4 with somebody you're working for, you're likely going to get 1099. And that form is due to you by January 31st. Does that actually always happen? Not really. Is it something that you get in the mail two weeks later? Possibly. Um, it's, it's due when it hits the mailbox. So sometimes things get lost, things mm -hmm. go crazy, you never know. The, the K-1s are if you own a, or are a member in an LLC, or you're a partner in, um, or a shareholder in a, an S corporation, you could, you're going to receive a, a K-1 based on their earnings or their losses, and you need to file that with your own personal return because it, it filters in as uh, a Schedule E, page one or page two type income, and those entities aren't required to file their taxes until March 15th. So if you do the math here, you know, March 15th, but your deadline's April 15th, are they going to get it to you in a month and have everything filed? So if you're one of those taxpayers that has 5, 10, 20 K-1s, even if you did get them all on time, are you going to be able to get them all correctly in your own 1040 mm -hmm. by the time the deadline occurs? May or may not. And for accuracy purposes, if you're feeling unsteady about it and you're not sure file the extension based on projections of last year pay in what you owe or don't if you don't owe 
and then do it right. It's good to know. And because you get all different kinds of forms, right? So when I was in school, you get one from the university that you're attending. Mm-hmm. Now I get one from whoever I owe money to the loan for servicer. My loans, right? Yep. Uh, I also got one, just purchased a house, so I got one from my lender that shows how much in tax I paid and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, you can also get them from your, like if you pay money into um, a health savings account, if you pay money into retirement funds, mm-hmm. things like that, depending on what type of account it is, you'll get those back. So all of those forms that you receive, you have to put those on your taxes one way or another, correct? The majority of them, yeah. Sometimes a practitioner will know, uh, hey, this is your your giving statement to your local church this year, mm-hmm. but you know you're not going to be itemizing, so there's really no need to have that form. It's not needed to go on the tax return because you know you're taking the standard deduction, so it's not needed. Right. For TSP or 401k on the W-2, is that already reflected or is, do you submit something separate? So line one should already reflect your after deducted taxable amount. Okay. Okay. That, because I, I, I never, and it shows retirement plan and it's checked, but I'm like, okay, but where where's the number? Where does it reflect like what I put into it? So, so that's it's good actually, to know that's already calculated in that right. total. And it's usually, I can't remember if it's box 12 or box 14, these changes from 1099 W2s. But usually, I think it's either code D or double D that reflects the the amount put in to the retirement account. Okay. Um, the other one is health insurance that they've paid on your behalf. Yeah, okay. So. Okay. Cool. Good stuff. Speaking of health insurance, I keep getting these forms every year, well, for the past couple of years, saying that I am covered under the Affordable Care Act, or I am able to show that I have health insurance, I can prove that. Do I need that? Is it required tax, or is it just something I can just throw in my recycle bin? Is it the 1095 dealy? Is yes. that what you're meaning? Yes. Okay. 1095. If I always wonder what that was. If you are a normal individual that has Blue Cross Blue Shields, uh-huh. It's not going to be needed because that penalty has been phased out. You're not going to have a penalty for not having health insurance. However, there are some cases, if in prior years you had the Affordable Care Act type insurance, so Obamacare itself, I believe there are certain credits that roll over. You've got to be cognizant of that if you have that. But the big thing people are concerned about are whether you have a penalty for not having health insurance. and that's not the case, mm. which will help a, a lot of people. That's, of course, debatable on the economy, whether that's a good thing or not. Sure. But D- does that mean, well, no, I guess you only qualify for an HSA, a health savings account, if you have a high deductible plan. So you'd have to have health insurance. Is that not the case? No. Okay. Um, so these are what usually people get confused. There's, a, there's the, the, the HSA, and then there's the... The other one, I believe it's the the M- MSA medical. Anyway, one of them goes with a high deductible plan, uh-huh. and the other one you can get regardless of what health insurance you have. And for for the HSA, you can I believe the the amount you can put in is twenty five hundred dollars, and that comes directly out of your paycheck, mm-hmm. and it's a true above the line deduction. 
if you are using those proceeds to reimburse qualified medical expenses. Okay. And usually if you have an HSA, you know, here are the, the list that are, that are qualified that's been given to you through, for example, for us, this is feds, BFSA feds. That's the site you would go to, to, to see what is qualified and what is not. And you really gotta be careful because there's some parsing through stuff that yeah. may or may not be qualified. So if it's, if all that is, you said completely, any money you put into an HSA is a tax write-off automatically, right? So how did you word that? If, if you use them for qualified medical expenses, Right, yes. so if you purchase or pay a doctor for a visit, that's essentially, and you take it out of your HSA, well, that's tax-free money. You're saving money by paying out of your HSA because you're not paying taxes on that money. So right. really, you're actually saving. You won't see that saving until the next year, but whatever right. you file. Right. So let's say you have, you know, this is the standard case of a Blue Cross or an ADA type mm -hmm. insurance, and you have a, a, a copay. So if you have, if you're putting in $2,500 to your HSA and you pay, know thirty dollars of your copay using that HSA money mm -hmm. then that money will technically not be taxable what's well, taxable but it's deductible above the line so you're yeah. not being taxed on that amount interesting huh. a little little percentage to save potentially yeah. if you yeah. utilize it correctly right. so depending on what bracket you're in you can it can really help you yeah so a lot of those qualifying medical expenses are going to vary per your insurance is that correct or is it just the IRS says this is what we determine to be so if I have knee problems and I buy a knee brace does that count does the ibuprofen that I that I get okay what about preventative things like vitamins or anything that way mm -hmm. or is it just dependent on specific things no the so the IRS has those guidelines they do okay they do uh, so the H, if you have an HSA that that company has to abide by those by those rules mm -hmm. and requirements from the IRS because they won't and it, usually you're going to see some crazy court cases if you go out there looking about people that have tried to deduct a ton of money for or for, for stuff that is obviously not meant for medical mm -hmm. so they they struck it down and they make that taxable so they owe a bunch of money um, so like vitamins and stuff like that unless it's usually the rule of thumb is unless it's doctor prescribed or a prescription it may or may not be deductible probably not right. um, so a b12 off the counter probably not okay so is it similar to and we'll get into deductions and all that in a bit but standard deduction versus itemizing do you have to have a certain amount in medical expenses before you start seeing a significant return on what you spend on medical so if you're itemizing keep in mind you, you when it comes to taxes you can never double dip so if you have an HSA and you're already deducting expenses off an HSA, you can't take those same expenses then try to itemize with them because ah. that's using that's a double double deduction. You okay. can't do that. Which if you're deducting them off your HSA, you're getting a better above the line deduction than you mm -hmm. are itemizing. Even if you can itemize, because you're still at the end of the day maybe not seeing the full benefit of that. Because uh, if you are able to itemize, you're still only able to itemize the amounts that are over 10% of your AGI. 
And that's fluctuated from year to year. Sometimes it's seven and a half percent based on how con- Congress has pushed those um, breakthrough, what has been renewed from year to year. But so let's say your your AGI you made um, in your W-2s, you're at $50,000. So you would have to have over 10%. So you have to over $5,000 of medical expenses to even get the first dollar deducted. Oh, wow. Okay. And then you'd also have to have over 20, let's say you're an individual, so $12,200 of other total itemized. Mm-hmm. So you'd be you'd be reaching a ton of deductions before you even get your first dollar. Yeah. Wow. Um, That's a marginal benefit, yeah. Those are the things that I feel like are complicated and confusing that people don't quite understand. Yeah, and usually if you go to a... Um, a tax filing software or whatever you're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to do that math for you behind the scenes. Yeah. You don't need to know that. You just kind of need to know uh, what what you personally have, what your own position is, what forms you have, because mm-hmm. that's that's the main key. People don't know that, hey, I need to be waiting on this 1099, and then later on you get a letter from the A nasty little letter from the IRS saying you're going to owe this much money. Yeah. Refile or, you know, that kind of thing. So That's never fun. So yeah. you're talking about standard deduction versus itemizing. Kind of walk <clears> us <throat> through the difference between the two um, as if we're in third grade and we don't know so that I can understand. <laughs> so <coughs> so for um, simplicity's sake, the mm-hmm. IRS knows you've got certain expenses that are for, for living, for a host of things that essentially allow you to live. Um, it can be debatable what that is, but mm-hmm. it's that standard deduction has been in the law for a long, long time. Food, water, shelter, my dog, my <laughs> husband as well. Maybe some shoes. Maybe some shoes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Those are good I have deductions. I dog. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. We have great yeah. Danes. So yeah. I, I feel oh, that yeah. pain. Um, <laughs> So that standard deduction makes it easier on the taxpayer to not have to keep a bunch of receipts for a host of things, right? So it's easier to take the standard deduction than it would be to have all, for for auditability purposes, Mm -hmm. right? For for an individual, that amount is $12,200 this year. For head of household, that's $18,350. And then married is double the individual, so $24,400. So to itemize, you need expenses or qualified things that count within that 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 range and that's above that dollar amount so we're talking about um, charitable donations state and local taxes um, medical over diversity of AGI and those are the big ones because the other ones have actually been phased out so the miscellaneous over two percent of my of a of AGI I mentioned last time so that got phased out I don't see a lot of that which is usually one of those things if you don't see it a lot you sometimes either forget or have to do some research mm-hmm. on um, casualty mm-hmm. losses except for a natural disaster have mm-hmm. been thrown out um, so the majority of people you're going to see they're not going to be itemizing and if you're one of those people that has a lot of that I would hope that you can um, like the HSA example mm-hmm. rephrase those those deductions or move those into another vehicle to be able to take the deduction elsewhere Okay. So, and they doubled that, what, two years ago? Three years ago? Yes. So they significantly increased it because they removed Mm -hmm. the personal exemption. And that got away from some of the more complicated um, 
do I want to claim this individual for for taxes and for not? And now that still comes into effect with the credits. Mm-hmm. If you have child tax credit or you have a qualifying dependent, mm-hmm. uh, you can get a five hundred dollar uh, credit. That's that's not going to be permanently in the law from the way it's written. They have to keep extending that one. Um, but the Congress was trying to not make it as complicated as it had been in the past, okay. which is a good thing. We like that. What is head of household like? What does that mean? What do you have? To, what What is that? What, what <laughs> is that? I never understood that because if you have a family, aren't you the head of household? But that's not how it works because you file married. I, you know, I don't. Right, right. So the the head of household would be the the lone man or woman. Yeah. In 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 the house. So if you are um, a non-married person that is taking care of multiple relatives or mm-hmm. multiple children, that qualifies. Some, somebody that you can claim, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. um, you may be able to file head of household. And that's something you kind of got to watch for. So that just gives someone in that position additional money to deduct in a way. Right, I mean, right. It increases, your, right. It increases your standard deduction. Okay. Right. Because right. you have other responsibilities that are not yourself. That, that, that would be the argument there, yes. But that's how it's written in the law. Okay, cool. I know you said that most people will take the standard deduction and most people won't have that you know they it's going to be really hard to get to that 24,000 if you're married or the 12,400 if you're filing it as an individual so let's say I'm trying to get there and I'm in the military I wear my uniform every day but I need a new pair of boots that I go out and buy Uh, I also need a new uniform so I go out and buy a new uniform the socks, the t-shirt that are part of the uniform that I have to wear every day for my job. Um, My spouse, let's say she's in the medical field. So she's got scrubs, she's got shoes that she has to wear and she goes through a pair of sneakers maybe every quarter because she does so much walking around the hospital. She also has stethoscope and different certifications that she has to do to keep up with her job. Are all of those qualifying expenses? No, not all of them. Okay. Um, there's a couple of layers to that question. The first one is when it comes to clothing, usually that's if you're not a Schedule C individual, meaning you were paid on a 1099 or you have your own else, you're a sole member LLC. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that could qualify under. So if you're just a W2 employee and you're trying to, in your example, buy um, uniforms or mm-hmm. uh, boots that would not be used or cannot be used outside of the job. So um, a, a good example of this is, you know, if you're a, a an individual that has specialized masks or um, you're, you're doing some environmental work that obviously that mask cannot be used anywhere else, you would have been able to deduct that as an itemized deduction with 2% over that, but that's now been taken out of the law. So the real the real answer to that is it's probably not deductible. Now you mentioned certifications and licenses. That's that is another argument. Um, <coughs> excuse me. That you can have if you are a a Schedule C employee as well. But those those definitely if they are helping to 
say for example, being a, um, a CPA and you are doing taxes and you're paying your, your board fees, that would be deductible on Schedule C because if you're holding yourself out and it's helping you attract business, it's obviously a necessary business expense. Mm-hmm. You can you can use that as a Schedule C. I would not be able to itemize that because that two percent, like I said, has gone away. Okay. So what if you are, um, what if you're a W two employee and you occasionally work from home? Can I write off my internet bill because I have to use that internet to be able to do my job, correct? Yeah, yes, you do need that to do your job. Um, <laughs> it would not be deductible like you think. Okay, so then I couldn't also say, well, I use this much in my electric bill and I have to sit in a heated room so I can write off this much of gas and just try and manipulate that number to where it gets to that itemized deduction threshold to be able to get, get money back. The best way is not to, to parse through itemized deductions. Okay. Because that's gonna be more of a pain in the neck than it's probably worth. Your best bets are to see how you can maximize your, your HSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an easy one if your employer provides it. Um, do that, that's a good thing. Um, the student loan interest deduction, that's a big one. Um, if you have, if you're in school and you're, you're getting loans, you're gonna get a 1098T, so you could potentially take an educational credit, that's a big one. Um, if you're a Schedule C employee, so you are, um, you, you own your LLC or you're a you're 1099 as an independent contractor, then we can have some talk about what business expenses were were necessary to get you to that point. So that's when we talk, talk, talk about um, um, home office deductions mm-hmm. and writing off percentages of your your electric bill and your your cell phone and things like that. Okay. So the things things get a little bit easier to talk about at that point. But if you're W two employee solely, you're pretty locked. Okay. So what about things like uh, earned income credit? Mm-hmm. Uh, any any of those type of you mentioned education benefits? Can I only take advantage of those? a few times or is it as long as I'm in school I can write off anything or those education costs some of those education costs so there are three big ways to go about it um, if you are and this one is a little more stringent than the rest that's why I bring it up first is the HOPE American Opportunity Credit some people call it the HOPE um, that is the bigger credit the more beneficial credit but there are some stipulations you have to be an undergrad you have you can't have taken it for more than four years there's some other stuff and usually there's a there's a required checklist that um, tax practitioners have to fill out to get to that point if you're okay. going to take it and you have to have the correct documentation so you have to have the 1098t and that, and that kind of stuff the second usually most beneficial is the lifetime learning credit now keep in mind you can only take one of the three that I'm explaining here um, you can't like I said you can't double deduct mm-hmm. the same dollar of quote-unquote deduction so if you spend one dollar you can't deduct that one dollar twice right mm-hmm. um, so the second one down is the lifetime learning credit and that's for the majority of people that are going back to get their graduate degrees um, and they're getting 1098 they're probably gonna go down that that, that ballpark um, because based on the, the credit's not as good but you're still getting a lot back. And, and a credit, as opposed to a deduction, reduces the tax that you are paying. I mean, a deduction is too, but it's, it's, it's directly reducing tax, dollar for dollar. Okay. Okay, so 
numbers, say the, ugh, how do I do this? Like, say it's $900 worth or whatever, mm-hmm. and you get a credit of that you're supposed to pay, right? $900 plus whatever percentage over a certain amount in a bracket. And there's a $200 credit. That means you're only paying $700 of that. Am I thinking of that right? Or is there a way you can explain it to me that's involving some numbers on to explain a di- the difference between credit and a deduction? Yeah, so... Okay. I'll let you do the math. <laughs> <laughs> so there, when we're talking about deductions and credits, I know we're getting off from the other, from the credit question a minute ago um, about educational sure. things. We'll, we'll get back we, to we can come back to that. But I like to do big loops here. Big Just loops. Big yeah. loops. <laughs> um, so the big three big categories are things called above-the-line deductions, below-the-line deductions, and then you have credits. And okay. a lot of people get those confused. So, so like above the belt and below the belt? Oh, yeah. Okay. Appropriate, not appropriate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so let's talk about credits first. Okay. Let's say you have... You owe a thousand dollars in total tax, and then you get a credit for five hundred dollars. You get you you now only owe five hundred dollars in taxes. It directly reduces your tax required to be paid. Mm-hmm. So your li- your liability. A deduction. Let's look at it from the calculation of the tax first. So it's it's before the computation of tax. So let's say your adjusted gross income is, let's say. $100,000 and you have a $10,000 deduction. So now your taxable income has been reduced to $90,000. Okay. And then based on your bracket, you'll calculate the percentage based on that number. Okay. So credits are lowering the actual taxes you owe and deduction is lowering your AGI, what your AGI looks like. Right. So it'll be a percentage of the tax that you owe. Right. Based okay. on the bracket that you're in. Yeah. So above, above the line deductions, so splitting those away from credits, above the line is usually better than below the line because above the line you're dealing with student loan interest deductions, mm-hmm. um, HSA um, contributions, mm-hmm. so that $2,500 amount. Below the line deductions will be your standard deduction and your, your itemized amounts. Okay. And usually they're more stringent especially the itemized amounts. I know we've already talked about that, but 10% over AGI for medical and example and things like that, so. Okay. Do, what, what are, I think I had that on this. What are, are they credits or deductions that you don't have to itemize, but you can put it toward your, like say you're taking the standard deduction. Are there things that you can include that do not require you to itemize? Does that make sense? Like student loan interest that you pay. I'm not going to, I'm going to take the standard this year, but I have student loan interest. Can right. I put that toward, or do you have to itemize in order to write all of those off? That's a good question. Um, so when I'm talking about above the line deductions, those are the things that you do not need to itemize for. Okay. So student loan interest deduction. Uh, H, I mean, the HSA is another big one. Um, there's a few over the years that, that have changed in and out, and I don't want to, bring those up without doing some additional sure. research but above the line those type of deductions you don't need to itemize okay um so it's usually a, a huge benefit that if you can get those mm-hmm. and you qualify for those mm-hmm. and you've spent money on those already do those in addition to your standard correct cool. correct so you could potentially have 30 grand 
standards 24,000 whatever or for married right and say both of you have student loan interest paid other uh, HSA all that stuff and you could actually deduct 30,000 instead of the standard like you're adding another 4,000 you could potentially that's a little simplified but yes uh, okay. so student loan interest that's another another cap and threshold people are kind of surprised about so let's say you and your spouse both have uh, enter or have student loans and they pay interest on them and it turns out to be five grand mm -hmm. well regardless of you being married or not married the cap is twenty five hundred dollars so you're if you pay five grand in student loan interest you're you're only allowed to claim you know half of that that twenty five hundred dollar cap which is kind of kind of a bummer but what if you file married but separate? No. Still can't? No. Nope. Dang Still it. Can't. Mm. Looking for those loopholes. I know. That's why, <laughs> really why I wanted to have you on, just so you could identify just, the loopholes yeah. that we, the average yeah. person, can take advantage of. Or Welcome back to not my get in trouble it's, for. It's kind of a bust. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's, it's a bust. Okay. That's okay. So really, just being the average American, you just have to be honest. I, I would say, taxes, I would say that's, the best, that's the best policy. Yeah. Okay, Plus, yes. it'll help you sleep better at night. Plus, you don't want to get true. audited. That's I imagine true. being audited is probably a nightmare. Yeah, yeah so, it can be. Yeah. It can be. Oh, thank you. So how long do you have to hold on to receipts and tax mm -hmm. stuff like question. that in case you yeah. do get audited? So... I would say 10 years. Holy mackerel. Ten? Really? Okay. I've heard seven. <laughs> I don't know if, if 10 uh, is too much, but... Uh, I, I think the requirement is seven. Seven, okay. Um, I do... I hold mine and all of my clients for 10. Not for the fact that... I don't, if the requirement's not that long, but I know that clients could come back to me however long, and I'm required to furnish them with a, ret with a return. That's a, another one of those requirements from, uh, from the IRS as a practitioner that... If at any point in time I have to be able to furnish that mm -hmm. to uh, any clients. Okay, yeah, because I really can't go back and unshred my 2012 tax documents. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's no bueno. To, to seven. Yeah. Or, seven. I'll start in two years to do ten. Yeah. <laughs> also, as a federal employee working for the comptroller, we have a a DOD FMR requirement to hold mm -hmm. all documents for ten years. So it's easier for me to think. Just hold everything for 10 years. Yeah. Just 10. Just, it's just just easier safe. to keep it across the board, so I don't have yeah. to worry about it. It's an even number. Yeah, yeah. Sense. easy. It makes 10 years. Sense. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, I'm going to jump into brackets. I think we touched yeah. standard deduction. Is there anything else on standard deduction and itemizing that we may have missed that you think is important to point out? I don't think so. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So tax brackets. How do they work? <laughs> How do they work? So just like sales tax, everybody pays a certain percentage. Like for Oklahoma City, it's what, eight and a quarter? Eight and a half now, yeah. percent sales tax. So when you pay taxes on your earned income, mm -hmm. it's the same, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody pays 8%, eight and a quarter percent, depending yeah. on where you live. Is that is that correct? Yeah, if only. That's that's what we call a flat tax, mm. and no, we do not have a flat tax. We have no. a progressive tax. No. Um, so, and this is kind of a a misconception, a misnomer about how tax brackets work. So, let's say you make, um, you know, thirty five thousand dollars a year, and your employer comes to you and magically tells you you're about to get a twenty thousand dollar pay increase. That'd be nice, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll so, take it. 
I, I would also take that. <laughs> so some people would think, okay, now all of my $50,000 or $55,000 of income is now going to be taxed at this new new rate. So all of it's going to be at this, um, I think it's 22%, that's where we'd be at that point. And the answer would be no, only the marginal amount. And it's only the marginal amount after all of your deductions. So I guess the moral of the story here is if you can make more money, do it. Don't worry about what bracket you're going to be in because at the end of the day, you're going to pay taxes, but you're not paying, you're not going to be penalized and made to pay more taxes on all of your income because you make a few thousand dollars more a year. Walk me through after the standard deductions have already been, what do you, what do you mean by that? So for example, um, there's a lot of subtraction that's done Mm -hmm. on a return and there's a lot of behind the scenes division and multiplication if you're, if you fall into certain, um, cutoffs and AGI ranges, but, uh, let's say you make, make it easy. Um, 50,000, let's just stick with 50,000 and you're a single person and you've got no above the line deductions, no student loan interest, no interest. I just make it super easy. And you decide to take the standard deduction. You're going to be able to deduct your 12,200 mm-hmm. and that brings you down to that, was that 30, 37, eight mm-hmm. number. I could be wrong there. I've checked that. 37 and some change. That was, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was <laughs> a little over 37,000. Quick math. Yeah. Anyway, 37, 37 something, 37, eight. Yeah. Um, your tax would be determined at that point. That would be your taxable income, not okay. your $50,000 of your, not your salary. Mm-hmm. So you, you wouldn't want to base any of your budgeting, your projections, your tax liability based on your total amount. You need to factor in that standard deduction mm-hmm. or it, of course it gets more complicated when you're talking about above the line or below the line, other below the line deductions or, um, or other credits you've got. Okay. Um, so when you can move some numbers around and, or put more toward TSP or HSA or whatever and get to a lower bracket, do you recommend trying to do that? Or does it not make a whole lot of difference? Not necessarily. And there's some some big brained accounting type problems you can get into Mm -hmm. here um, on whether to, if we're talking about TSP, traditional Mm -hmm. versus Roth. And you have to, to weigh the the risks or what you think your future earnings potential is going to be, let's say, you make 30000 now, but you you believe based on the way you're going and your education, you can make up to seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 by the time you retire. Mm-hmm. So uh, it may be better for you now to go ahead and do a Roth, pay taxes on that amount, mm-hmm. knowing you're going to make more later, which in return will probably make more in retirement, mm-hmm. right? If you And you make more in retirement, when you pull that money out, you don't want your AGI to be super high and you pay more taxes. So it's this risk of which bracket am I going to be in now versus then there's a time value money calculation on that too. You know, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar 20 years from now. But on top of that, you have to think about is Congress going to raise or lower tax rates. And Mm -hmm. usually at the end of the day, if you can afford to do a Roth contribution, go ahead and do it. But I know that that was a big circle to get to your, get to your point of, do we bring down, should we bring it down if we can, yeah. your HR if you can? Not necessarily. Okay. Depends on where you think you're going to be. 
I imagine that would cause some undue stress too, like trying to figure out where to put money mm-hmm. when maybe toward your budget or toward your savings or something might benefit you better in the short term. Yeah, because you hear of people yeah, not taking yeah. Uh, raises or bonuses or whatever because they're afraid it's going to put them in a different tax bracket. So where is that cutoff? Like, is it is it a certain dollar amount? Is it okay at thirty five thousand? You start, you get in another bracket, and then when you get to sixty thousand, it's another bracket, and then eighty. Or how do they determine the brackets? I mean, you kind of mentioned there's like a formula and a lot of behind the scenes math. Oh yeah, that's definitely a with that. a congressional type discussion. They they determine those. They from time to time will um, raise those up based on cost of living adjustments or mm. or um, inflation. Yeah. To to not make it inequitable to certain classes of people. Okay. Um, and they'll do that with credit sometimes mm-hmm. as well. Is right now, what are there, seven brackets? Is that right? It's like starts at 10 and then to 12 and then there's a 22 or something. Some of them like jump up pretty, they're a pretty big jump. Right. It's from 12 to 22, that's a 10% jump. I think that's right. Yep. Something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. I looked earlier, I can't remember. Yep. We'll post that, uh, the brackets, but that's a big jump. Yeah. 10%. I mean, even if it's marginal, well, if you're making the max amount of at 12%, you're pretty much your full income is going to be taxed at 12%, correct? Except for the portion that's taxed at 10%. Oh, so it's up to the 10%. It's a stair Okay. It's stair step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, pre- that's a okay. progressive, progressive tax as opposed to a flat tax. Okay. Is, is, um, this might be too political, but. The idea of flat tax one day, is that a good idea or a bad idea? It would depend on your beliefs of where the money should be taxed. Because if you have a flat tax, ultimately the individuals making less money Mm -hmm. will pay more in the end. Mm -hmm. More as a percentage of what they're making. So um, the argument for a progressive tax that we currently have is, you know, with the, the standard deduction that we currently have in place, that, you know, if you make $10,000 a year and you're single, your standard deduction is going to be higher than that, so you're not going to pay mm-hmm. taxes on that. But if you have a flat tax and you take away the standard deduction, you're going to owe whatever the rate is based on your 10% yeah. or your, your $10,000 sorry, your $10, in that example. So in at the end of the day, it would be effectively hurting the poorer yeah um and there's a, there's an argument to be made on both sides of the coin if so we don't we're not going to go into politics sure. here but um that's those are the kind of types of conversations congress is having to mm-hmm. have and the way they try to get around some of that as well is what credits are being offered mm-hmm. um the child tax credit ei eic or an income credit and some of those other ones are supposed to help mitigate some of that um inequitable Mm -hmm. type taxing behavior okay so maybe you like a combination maybe the stair step to a certain point and then when it seemed when it's deemed fair whoever that deeming authority would be then it could go to a flat tax and they also talk about and actually it it does a certain percentage it does flat flat out i think it's 30 35 percent Right now, I could be wrong. That could be the old tax code, but it, it does flatten out after that thirty-something percentage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
But the way they also mitigate even more is by um, implementing phase outs on certain credits and deductions. So mm -hmm. if you make above a certain level of income, you can't take certain deductions or credits or they're phased out as they're, of course, they're called phase outs. But the more income, the, the fraction of what you can take on the full percentage of the credits hmm. is reduced. So that, does that kind of screw over people who make a good amount of money? Like, well, I can't, like, hey, I'm, yeah, I make all this money, but I, I doubt they'd phase out child credit. But let's say they did, as an example. Let's say someone makes 200000 a year, but they have five kids and they're a single parent. Well, they've got some to send to college and things like that. So they're not getting a credit that they're, they used to get or whatever. That kind of is not it fair. It could be. Right? But the argument is, is in your example, I, I think the threshold's actually higher for the phase out than that. Okay. I, so let's make it outrageous. Let's make like the single parent with five is making eight hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay. Right? That's way over the, the phase out. But the, so the argument at that point would be, well, that person make, making eight hundred thousand dollars a year, yeah. and they can pay their taxes. They yeah. doing okay though. They, yeah, they're, they're doing they're, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not dollar menu every night. <laughs> yeah. True. Right. Very true. Yeah. But that okay. does kind of help bring up. I mean, and I think even for the earned income credit, it's 40000 like joint filing or something like that. May, I'm, I may be way off. I'm just throwing numbers out there like yeah. some, some mathematician or something. They've changed those all the time. And the, the behind-the-scenes calculations are a little, little more hairy to perform. So um, usually you let the computer do the work, and then you review, review the calculations to make mm -hmm. sure those are right. Sure. So, but, but just for an example, oh, yeah. right, they would give that to a dual income that collectively makes forty, fifty thousand dollars versus a single person who makes forty five, the two people making less than that one individual making that the two people may benefit from that credit more so than the individual. Potentially. Potentially. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe I'm just making up things. I haven't, I haven't heard of that credit, so I'm very the earned income credit? Yeah. It's one of those that is highly auditable, but they but it but if you do qualify for it, you're very much encouraged to take it because okay. it's there for a good reason. If you're in that bracket and you're not because it's it's meant for if you're making less money and mm -hmm. you have dependents, mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. If you, the more dependents you have, the higher the credit it is. So if you're making less money and you have more dependents, mm -hmm. you should get more back. And the thing about EIC is it's partially refundable, meaning let's say you owe zero dollars in taxes. A lot of credits um, are partially refundable and non-refundable, meaning you get money back. EIC with that refundable portion, mm -hmm. if you owe zero dollars in taxes, you may be able to get a, cut, a check cut back to you from the IRS. Huh. So it, it helps boost okay. your income. Okay. And I know it's not just for people with dependents. Because I was able to file. Right, that. right. It's just higher for those that do have more dependents, okay. right? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So. Good to know. I have a question as a, okay, my husband is a sole proprietor. Um, and he gets taxed out the wazoo. Why is that? Why, when you're self-employed, do you pay so much in taxes? Well, there's this thing called self-employment taxes. Explain um, that to me, because... Man, it sucks. <laughs> Self-employment taxes, a lot. It's, it's a lot. So yeah. self-employment taxes, if you are a sole proprietor, mimics 
what the employer pays if you are a W-2 employee. So when you pay your your own social security, your your own side of the social security, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Medicare, that that kind of stuff, the employer has a has their duplicate portion as well. Mm-hmm. So self-employment taxes are there to essentially mimic that. That there's an argument whether to be had whether or not that is um, inequitable to the sole proprietor or not. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you're still paying your own Social Security in. And half, the way the law is written, half of that tax amount is actually deductible. And the system usually catches that. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's usually ends up being a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, there's, a thr- there's a tiny threshold. It's a few hundred dollars. If you're above that, you have to pay your self-employment. Okay. Tax. Um, how much, what's, what percentage do you recommend people who do own their own business, whether it's on the side or their full-time business, how much, what percentage do you recommend they hold on to for that tax purpose? I've heard up to 40%. It, to could, it could be. Um, it just depends on how much <laughs> and how many deductions you have. Yeah. Let's say you are... Um, a, a company that buys 300 computers, you may, and of course at that point, you're you're gonna take a, a, a bigger deduction mm-hmm. for buying all of those computers mm-hmm. in one year. And you know that's a one-time purchase, you may take it that kind of big purchase into account before trying to withhold money. Yeah. Because uh, you're being able to take that deduction there. So it's, it, it's from year to year. Okay. You really need some planning before you commit okay. one way or the other. So on the write-offs and things for that, gas, vehicle maintenance, things like that, if you're self-employed and you're utilizing your own mode of transportation to get around for, like he's in you know construction, so he's driving all over the place. His, he's always having to do something to his truck. Like, can that be written off because it's for his business, but also used personal? Or is there a percentage of that for both? Like it's his personal truck, but it's also his work truck. Right. You know, he doesn't have two. Is it smarter to have two? And that is solely for work only. This one is for, you know, weekend cruising. Weekend cruising. Yeah. So (laughs) working backwards, um, it's really up to you based on your business practice whether or not it's good to have Mm -hmm. one car for business one car for not Mm -hmm. if you've got one car you would split it by percentage of total mileage that you've driven so let's say for example you drove 20,000 miles last year Mm -hmm. if 5,000 of that was for personal and 15,000 was for business you take the ratio of that and take the expenses okay but with that being said though you you mentioned some expenses there you were you are allowed to take one of th- one or the other, whether you want to take a mileage, mm-hmm. a, which is, I think, 50-something cents right now per 54. mile. 54.5. That would be correct. Yeah. I believe that's it. I don't know why I remember that. Uh, <laughs> I used to see. I remember back in the day it was 53, 53.8 or yeah, something. Yeah, we're moving up. I know. Getting there. <laughs> um, or you can take actual expenses to include depreciation of the vehicle. Okay. The majority of the time, unless it's an old car, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to take um, well, I mean, even if it's a new car, it depends on what you do to it. But mm-hmm. Mileage is usually probably going to be your better bet. Okay. Um, the For audit purposes, what you're wanting to do is probably get one of the mileage apps. And when you know you're driving to a client or mm-hmm. driving to a work site, 
turn that guy on and you let it ride all the way until you get there all the way you get back turn it off okay um depends on where you're this is also getting it gets into another uh, area of the law where people get in trouble depends on where you're working where is your place of employment mm-hmm. if you're a sole proprietor and you you have an office um, in an actual facility and not at your house then your mileage you're going to be able to claim is the mileage from you know where you work to the job sites ah, not it, from home to the office right, to the, okay right um, but if you work because that would be considered commuter mm-hmm. and commuter is not deductible um but if, let's say, you have a home office mm-hmm. that is strictly by IRS guidelines a home office, meaning it is sectioned off, there's mm-hmm. no personal stuff in there, you're not sharing an office with your spouse, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, it's strictly for your business, then you can use that as your home of your your place of it's home your home of record mm-hmm. your your place of place of business, and then you leave when you leave there, you're able to deduct mileage from there. Um, that's a little harder to prove and justify for audit purposes, yeah. but you can do it. Okay. Okay. So the lessons of the day are, unless you can afford a really good tax attorney, don't go for loopholes <laughs> to educate yourself. Educate yes. yourself on, on what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Before I would agree. Yeah. 100%. Okay. And if you're not comfortable with even a standard deduction, get you a CPA. Because I'm one of those who... I've been asked many times by many people, like, my taxes are simple, husbands are not. But for my stuff, I could do it myself, but I am not comfortable. I'd rather pay a CPA to make sure I'm, I don't want to say taking advantage, but for my benefit, taking advantage of all the credits and things that I may not know about. Yeah, to the full extent of the law. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, not breaking it. Right. In, in uh, yeah. courses in college, and they talk about this all the time, there's a, a difference between, a huge difference between tax uh, evasion and tax avoidance. And tax, you can imagine which one is legal and which one sure, is not, yeah. right? But sometimes they can get they can get really close to each other, so you got to be especially careful. Yeah. Don't be stupid, y'all. Yeah, just... Do what's right. Yeah. Enjoy your paved roads. Right. And whatever else taxes. Pay for. Pay for. School learning. We'll Google that. For kids. <laughs> Are there any, um, is there anything else you want to add to the episode that you think is important? And if not, are there any um, websites or places people can go to learn more on educating themselves on what taxes actually do and just overall what what references do you have or resources? I mean, IRS.gov has been pretty good in the last couple of years. They've really revamped some of that. A lot of um, FAQs are out, are out there. They've really um, added a lot to that. Um, a lot of the instructions have been uh, revised, and they really keep up with that kind of stuff because a lot of taxpayers and practitioners use that as a resource mm-hmm. to go out there and just kind of get a sense of what the IRS is looking for and looking at, especially in some vague areas. Um, they'll also give you reference to the actual IRC, which is the Internal Revenue Code, that you can go and actually do your own research mm-hmm. if you if you want to know, uh, which I do quite often on some things that the instructions may not be written specifically enough to what I'm trying to get answered, so I'll go to the law and see how it was written. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, IRS.gov is a good one. Um, 
Oklahoma's Tax Commission's website is really good as well. If you have any questions about your Oklahoma return, um, the, the 511 instructions, the 511 is the, the Oklahoma tax form. Mm-hmm. Go out there and read some of those, and that's really good. And they, they're usually pretty specific. And OET, OTC, usually when you call them, they're a really good resource as well. IRS, you may be on hold for a lot longer than you'd want. Okay. but Cool. All right. We yeah. really appreciate it. And thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening and keeping us going. Yeah. Uh, let's do another 10 years. I don't know that I'll be here, but hey. It's a commitment. (laughs) Yeah, it totally is. But yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. The OK Guard Show is produced by the Oklahoma National Guard Public Affairs Office. Any mention of products or brands does not imply endorsement. All guests on the show are volunteers in an effort to inform and educate members of the Oklahoma National Guard their families, retirees, potential recruits, and the community. 